Today's reading is from Acts 28, verses 11 to 31, which can be found on page 1126 in the Church Bibles. That's Acts 28, verses 11 to 31. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with a figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up. And on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming. And they travelled as far as the Forum of Apias and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea, concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there who have reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They are arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he had said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said, through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house 
and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Grazie Maria. Welcome to the English speaking segment of our news program. My name is Mario Zanadelli. On Jar Rome, every day we go down here to the port of Puteoli to meet the arrivals into our greater city of Roma and find out a little bit more about them. Today we are meeting Paul of Atasso, who has just arrived. Paul, what are you doing here? Hello. Some of you look familiar. Well, my name's Paul, and I've come all the way uh, from Jerusalem. Uh, and I've come to tell everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ was a Jew just like me. And 30 years ago, the, uh, the Roman general, uh, governor, uh, Pontius Pilate, uh, he killed Jesus. Uh, and you know, Jesus Christ, he was killed, but he came back to life. He went to heaven, he proves that he's God, and he wants everybody to love him. And I've come all the way here to tell everybody that great news that Jesus is God. Well, uh, well, Paul, I think you actually find that a Caesar is a God. A Nero, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus, to be precise. But put that to one side. Tell me, what is the best thing on this uh, journey for you? Tell me about those experiences. Oh, the best thing about this journey... Well, do you know, it's been a long journey. It started in, uh, in Jerusalem. The first place I stopped was in Sidon. And Sidon, I just got such a welcome. And the big thing for me has been the Christian support and the fellowship and the way people, other Christians, look after you. Um, I brought some souvenirs with, you, with me. Would you like to see them? I see, you see. See, you see. <laughs> Let me see. So, one other place I stopped actually not on this trip, but a previous trip, was Ephesus. And Ephesus, do you know, when I left Ephesus, grown men cried when I left them. That's the effect I have on people. Or it may be, it may be just the love that Christians have for each other. Do you look, there's pictures of me in here. Look, you can see me. There we are. There ah, that, that's me in the <laughs> So, Ephesus, just wonderful to meet with other Christians and be encouraged. Uh, and all the way through, people are giving me food and drink and things. Look, we have some Turkish delight. Would you like some Turkish delight from my brothers in Ephesus? Maybe or? a little bit later. So a not good for my voice when I sing. <laughs> we'll put that there, put that there for later. Uh, and it's just been uh, great to have that, uh, that encouragement all the way through. Do you know, it says... Um, I'm going to write something about this because I think it's really important that we never stop meeting together, encouraging each other, spurring each other on as fellow Christians. We need that and that's what I'm going to do. you know, even here, I've been asked to stay a week with my fellow Christians here. That's really encouraging. Uh, Paul, that sounds really good. Uh, tell me some of the, the, the negative things from your journey. What has been the worst thing? The worst thing? Mm, wasn't ready for that. Um, I suppose the, the opposition... Uh, and the disappointments, because cause there are some. You know, I'm going to speak here in the synagogue uh, later on, and I bet my bottom dollar that I get rejected, that people will not want to listen to me, and they'll turn it down. This is the free offer. God gives us life in his name. All we have to do is trust in Jesus, but people will reject it. 
And it's been the same all the way. Another souvenir here. Look. I like a one? souvenir. You like souvenirs. This one, this one is from Damascus. When I was in Damascus, they were so determined to kill me that my brothers had to let me down a wall in this basket. Paul, how is it possible to fit in this basket? <laughs> I've put on a bit of weight since then, but no, that. And it did break the string, but there we are. But I was let down the wall because so many people were opposing me and wanted to, to, to hurt me. And that's what happens if you're a Christian. People will oppose us. They, they, they beat me up, they stone me, I've been left for dead, all sorts of things. And in fact, I'll tell you something else. It's not just people who oppose you. The fact is, what we know is that we're in a spiritual battle. So on the way here, we had a colossal storm. And everybody knows, uh, this is something I managed to just scribble down on my scrolls as we were watching it. Uh, everybody knows that a storm is a symbol of the devil and the, uh, uh, and the forces of evil attacking us. And that's what we Christians have to put up with. And as if to prove the point, when we landed after this storm in Malta, we had a fire. And look what, look what came out of the fire. Look what this. Oh, look at yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this snake, it sort of wrapped itself around me like this. And everybody knows that a snake is a symbol of the devil. And this snake bit me. Aye. And it's a viperous, poisonous extremist. And yet, <laughs> here I am, alive and well. With my pet snake. Yeah, it's a miracle. It's amazing. It was a miracle. But that, I'll put it in the basket. We can get it out later. But that was a real reminder for me that we fight against the domain of darkness and there will be opposition. Well, Paul, um, this is uh, incredible. Uh, well, finally, what would you say you have learned on this journey? Do you know, the big thing I've learned on my journeys is that you can't really put God in your pocket you can't predict how God is going to act. Now, with Nero, I know he's a bit unpredictable, but you can pretty well tell how Nero's going to behave. I would never have believed that I would be here in Rome as I am. You know, in, um, at the beginning of my journey, things were looking a bit bad, and God said to me, he said, one day you will arrive in Rome, let's click on, you will arrive in Rome and you will speak there. I've got one more souvenir. Can I show it to you? Absolutely. It's my last souvenir. Here we are. Do you know, when I was in Israel, I was going around trying to chain up followers of the way. In fact, some of you look familiar. I might have tried to chain you up earlier. It keeps on going. But, but, you know, I got accused of sedition. I'm loyal to Caesar. I was accused of sedition. And I was put in chains. In fact, I've got to put it back on now because I've got to report back to the guard soon. And I had to appeal to Caesar. And I stood in front of Festus. And Festus says, you've appealed to Caesar. So to Caesar, you will go. But I never thought God would use these chains to take me to Rome. And you know, because of these chains, I'm going to be able to stand in front of Nero and tell him all about the Lord Jesus Christ. So you never know how God is working in your life. Well, Paul, that is uh, one of the most amazing stories we've had on this news uh, segment. Uh, so l- let, me, let me recap. Um, best thing, be encouraged by other believers. Would yes, you say yes? Yes, yes, yes. The worst thing, maybe uh, dealing with the opposition. And your accent. <laughs> it's a little bit unfair. 
a big learning point. God does not always work as you think he will. That's right. right. That's right. Mm, you obviously believe all of this stuff. Uh, about who again? Who? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, Luigi. No, it's Mario. Manuel, the Lord Jesus Christ is the name to remember. So fascinating, Paul. We have to go to the weather segment now. But, Paul, can you tell me about these things in the break? Of course, can. Come back after the break. All right. This is um, H.V. Morton. Uh, some of the older folk may remember. H.V. Morton was a bit of a strange character. He was a great travel writer in the 30s. Uh, he was also uh, a very major uh, war correspondent. He was the only person to be on the, uh, the ship when uh, Roosevelt and um, Churchill signed the Transatlantic uh, Alliance during the war. So he was, he was a very important person in the 30s and 40s. But what he wrote was a lot of travel books, including this one, uh, In the Steps of St. Paul, when he goes back and retraces Paul's journeys. And because he does it in the 1930s, a lot of what he's seeing is very similar to what would have been there 2,000 years earlier. Um, but he finishes Paul's journey in Rome, where he has to use his imagination a bit. Um, but I thought it was such a good passage, and I enjoyed reading it so much, um, that I asked Philip just to read a couple of pages describing that scene that we've just had read to us earlier from Acts 28. So, over to Philip for a minute. In the steps of St. Paul, as they approached, the travellers had a choice of continuing along the famous highway or of taking a mule-drawn barge along a canal that traversed the Pontine Marshes. We do not know which of the ways they travelled, but we are told in Acts that they arrived at Apiforum, which was at the north end of the canal, and the place where mules were unhitched for the reverse journey. It was a place of low taverns, bargemen, and travellers of every sort and condition. Standing amongst the motley crowd at the end of the canal, eagerly scanning the faces of all the travellers from the south, were a band of Christians who had marched out from Rome to meet the Apostle and escort him to the capital. How Paul's face must have lit up with joy when he saw the men who had marched 40 miles from Rome in order to give him the kiss of brotherhood and to grasp him by the hand. Paul's Christian welcome on the road to Rome is one of the loveliest things in Acts. We've seen him fighting all his life, apparently failing, always opposed, shaken to the depths of his soul by the meanness and the malice of his enemies, slandered and rejected often, but never for one moment unequal to the fight because Christ lived in him. This meeting on the way to Rome was a reward for his years of struggle. If there was a time in his life when those all-seeing eyes softened and when his face seemed to be the face of an angel, I think it was the moment when he came to Rome and found a Christian welcome. Marching beside him, as if he were a conqueror and not a captive, those loving children of the early church uplifted his spirit with news of the little community in Rome. And when they drew near the city to a place called Three Taverns, ten miles along the Appian Way, another band of Christians perhaps older people who could not walk the 40 miles to the canal, were standing ready to greet him. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. They were now on the most crowded and most famous of the world's highways. They were almost at the gates of Rome. Every step took Paul nearer to the realisation of his life's dream. At last, he was going to see Rome. 
He was arriving as a prisoner, but he was a prisoner in triumph, surrounded by an advance guard of that love and affection with which the ages have since dowered on his name. What, one wonders, did the other travellers think as they encountered that file of travel-stained prisoners on the road, marching under guard, with one among them who moved in a crowd of happy friends? Surely they must have asked, who is that man? Surely Julius and his legionnaires were busy shouting back to the curious passers-by, he's Paul, a citizen of Tarsus, who's appealed to Caesar. So, they came to Rome. They approached the Porta Capena, whose green stones dripped perpetually from a leaking aqueduct which ran above it. They made their way through the crowd thronging the gate, and market wagons, the ranks of chairmen, and the carriages, which at this point had to put down their passengers during daylight hours. And they entered Rome. Thanks, sir. I've never known anybody with a gift of reading before, but Philip's got it, hasn't he? Well, I don't know exactly how your version of Acts 28 reads, uh, but in some versions, the very last words of the book of Acts are the words, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why Paul uh, made that journey that he did. And that's what Philip was just reading a little bit uh, about But what's in a name? What's in a name, the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let's have a little think about names. A little gentle quiz to engage you to uh, earn some of that uh, Turkish delight. Um, Three names, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just think about the middle name in that triptych. The name Jesus. Let's think of some meanings. Anybody know which picture you would put with Boris. And you do get a... You can come and get your Turkish delight later. I'm not going to throw it around. It's too sticky. Any offers? Which picture would you put with Boris? Someone shout something out. Wolf. Well, absolutely spot on. Boris means wolf, or more politely, snow leopard. But I think Boris probably uh, goes better, doesn't it? So, Boris means wolf. Now, we'll be equal and... Correct here. So, what about Teresa? What does Teresa mean? Any offers? Bit of an odd one. Uh, it means harvest gatherer, apparently, which might be quite suitable for her proclivity for running through wheat fields. Uh, but there they are. Teresa I means something to do with the harvest. Uh, who else have we got? Uh, we'll go local. What about Caroline? Caroline Lucas. What does Caroline mean? Well, bizarrely, it means free man which is a bit strange, but um, there we are. Caroline means free man. Uh, Where do we go next? Oh, me! That's exciting. Fresh off LinkedIn. What does Donald mean? I'm the only one who should know this. It does not mean cream cake, which is uh, on there. It does mean world ruler, so that's Genghis Khan. (laughs) Thank you, Mum and Dad. There we are. We've still got a a few random pictures there to confuse you. Uh, Gabriel Jesus. Now, what does that name mean? <laughs> Somebody doesn't really know that. Just much too shy to say it. Well, of course, doesn't it? Jesus, uh, Jesus means uh, saviour, uh, the one who s- saves. Those names, even my name, 
sadly don't have uh, much significance, do they? They were just named. I wouldn't think my parents had looked up a book and decided which name means world ruler before they decided to call me Donald. I have no idea why they did call me Donald, but I'm sure it wasn't for that reason. That wasn't the same, was it, for Jesus? We know how Jesus' name was chosen. We know that, in fact, mum and dad didn't choose Jesus' name, did they? God chose Jesus' name. Gabriel came, Gabriel came and told Mary, you're to call him Jesus. And we're given two reasons for that. But in Matthew's Gospel, Gabriel tells Joseph, you're to call him Jesus because he will save. He is a saviour and he will save people from their sins. And that's the big message of the Bible, isn't it? That we need saving from our sins. We need saving from those things that separate us from God. That when we ignore God, which is sin, we deserve to die. And the message that Paul was taking to the world was that that Jesus had died, lived a perfect life, had died and had raised again, been raised again to put us right with God, to give us life, to save us from our sins. So 1 Peter 2, 24 says, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin but live for righteousness. So when Paul was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus was the name that tells us that he saves, that he puts us right with God. But my problem is that if Jesus is just a a Jew who was crucified 30 years ago or hundreds of years ago, well, actually, how's he got the power to put me right with God? And that's why Paul is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word Christ tells us something else. And it tells us something a bit like this. So, Emmett Lathrop Brown, PhD. You see, Emmett Lathrop Brown's words after his name tells me what he is. He is a doctor. And that's why he's called the Doc all the way through the, uh, the Back to the Future films. That describes who he is. It's not his name. He is the Doc. That describes what he does. And that's the same with that word Christ that comes after Jesus. Christ describes who Jesus is. You see, the 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 Jewish tradition was looking forward to a Messiah and the Messiah had to be set aside in some way by God. He had to be anointed. And so Messiah, Christ, Christus, all the same word, means anointed. So Jesus is the anointed one. But instead of being anointed with oil, Luke's Gospel says Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit. In fact, he is full of the Holy Spirit. He is full of God's Spirit because he is God. And that is why we can trust that Jesus, this this man 2,000 years ago, can save us through what he does 
on the cross because he is anointed. He is the Christ. So Jesus Christ, he is the anointed saviour. And because of that, the Bible and, and Paul and the book of Acts gives him that third title and he's called the Lord. Now the trouble with the word Lord is that I think we have funny ideas of what a Lord might look like. If someone says Lord to me, this is what I think of. Um, this apparently is Lord North. I don't know anything about Lord North, but that's kind of what I think of when I hear the word Lord. But that isn't what Lord is meaning here. When we read it in Acts, when Paul is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord has a slightly different meaning. It really means master or, or majesty. And if you flick back in the Old Testament, you'll see God described as Lord. Well, sometimes it's a capital L and sometimes it's a little L because there's all sorts of ways God's described in the Old Testament. But when it's a little L, it's the same word. It's Adonai in, 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 in the Hebrew. It's the word that means master and it means uh, majesty. And it means someone who has authority over us. Now, all of us have to accept, I guess, that somebody is an authority over us. Uh, for some of us, it's going to be a chief exec, isn't it? We're going to have someone in our organisation, in our business, in our firm, in our company, who tells us what to do. And we have to do as we're told. Uh, some of us might have done national service, might have been the army or the forces at some point, and we know the commanding officer tells us what to do. And we get that. Some of us are still at school, no doubt your head teacher looks just like this. Some of you are teachers. And uh, we have uh, headmasters and headmistresses to take note of. Some of us, perhaps, are retired. I don't have to worry about any of these people, but even us. Even we have a sovereign, don't we, that we bow the knee to. We recognise that there are people who have authority over us. Well, when it comes to Jesus Christ, we have to take that idea and multiply it by a billion, 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 billion times. Because Jesus is Lord. He has authority over us. Last week, Phil was talking to us uh, from Ephesians and uh, he quoted the bit from Ephesians that says, Jesus is above every rule and authority, every power, every dominion in the present age and the age to come. That is this Jesus Christ, this man who is anointed as our saviour, is the Lord of everything and everybody. And that means that we, if we are Christians here, we bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things we looked at uh, on Alpha uh, is what that means in our daily lives. And it's, it means that our life is characterised by love. That's the, the linchpin. It's God is love. Our life will be one that shows his love. And that will work itself out. It will work itself out in our relationships with each other, even in this building, with our friends. It will work out in how we uh, behave at work, at college, uh, how we use our money, how we treat family members. If Jesus Christ is our Lord, then we follow his commands.
So, three words. Now, I don't know whether you've uh, got the three-word app yet. Everybody is supposed to have the what three-word app. But did you know, if you haven't caught up with this, that the whole world has been divided into 10-metre squares? And those 10-metre squares have each had allocated to them uh, three words that locate them. I think 40,000 words cover the whole of the globe. And the idea is that if you're in trouble, rather than sort of having to describe where you are, if you make a phone call, uh, or if you're not very good on grid references, or you can only get a quick message out, if you know the three words of your location, that's much easier to remember, and the, the rescue services can get you very quickly. So this is, uh, this is the promotional uh, picture uh, for um, what three words. Um, I don't know whether anybody's looked it up, but if you get into trouble in Bishop Hannington, uh, the three words that describe where I'm standing are mime, descended, give. So if I get into trouble, I have to pick up the phone and say, I'm in mime, descended, give, and I will be rescued. Phillips at the back of church, that's a separate 10 metre square, so you're on your own. But I, I'm all right, because those three words, using the three word app, Uh, will rescue me. But of course those three words are completely meaningless and they're completely random and they're only useful right here. Acts has finished with three words that have eternal meaning, don't they? They're words that are going to rescue me anywhere at all time. That is why Paul travelled across the globe to tell people the great news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just pray as we finish. Father God, thank you so much for what you did with us, for us on the cross through Jesus. And we just pray as we heard in that uh, little bit of Acts uh, that our ears will be opened to hear your word uh, and that our eyes uh, will be opened that we can see what you have done for us. Amen.